the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Friday, June the 2nd, July the 2nd, uh, July the 2nd, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today on July 2nd, 1776, the Continental Congress passed a resolution saying that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states. We'll be talking more about that today. Today in 1881, President James Garfield was shot by Charles Gateau. He was shot at the Washington Railroad Station. Garfield died the following September. Gateau was hanged in June of 1882. Today in 1937, aviator Amelia Earhart and navigator Fred Noonan, they disappeared over the Pacific Ocean while attempting to make the first round-the-world flight along the equator. Today in 1961, author Ernest Hemingway shot himself to death at his home in Ketchum, Idaho. That's just outside, as you probably know, outside Sun Valley. Today in 1964, President Lyndon B. Johnson signed into law a sweeping civil rights bill passed by Congress. And today in 1980, President Jimmy Carter reinstated draft registration for males 18 years of age. Jimmy Carter's presidency reminds me, or I should say Biden's presidency, reminds me so much of Jimmy Carter's presidency in so many ways, not necessarily this draft registration, but just all of the things, the way he approaches things. They're two peas in a pod. I mean, they are the same people. Jimmy was then, Joe is now, but they are the same people. They react to the same things. They don't react to the same things. Interesting. Sad. Today, 1982, Larry Walters of San Pedro, California, he used a lawn chair equipped with 45 helium-filled weather balloons to rise to an altitude of 16,000 feet in the air. I remember this. He landed eight miles away in Long Beach. I think there was another guy, and I didn't have time to look it up before we came on the air this morning, but I think there was another guy here in the Northwest somewhere in Oregon or Idaho or somewhere that did the same thing more recently. And one of the two, either this Larry Walters guy or the other one, um, they they lowered themselves by, uh, they had a BB gun or a pellet gun with them, and they lowered themselves when they wanted to land by shooting those balloons and they would they would you know destroy a balloon and that would take away their buoyancy and anyway that's the way they got themselves back down to earth why would people do this i think they may have too much time on their hands i don't know but it's interesting and i guess we're talking about it now all these years later today in 2018 rescue divers in thailand remember this they found 12 boys in their soccer coach They'd been trapped by flooding as they explored a cave. They were in there for more than a week. All the boys in the coach got out alive. 
that was kind of a miracle, really. All of the boys, including the coach, were Buddhists, I believe. But there was one kid, I remember this distinctly, one kid was a Christian. And he said, I just kept praying silently. He said, all the rest of my teammates and my friends, he said, I knew they didn't believe in praying to God. But he said, I was just praying silently that God would get us out of here. And he did. He told the press that first thing he had to say when they got him out, the world was, uh, press was, you know, focused on these kids. I don't think they expected this one kid to say that, but he did. He thanked God for getting them out of that cave. Three years ago today, our Liberty Bell has an inscription on it, as you may know, and the inscription on the Liberty Bell is from the Bible. It's Leviticus chapter 25, verse 10. That verse says, Proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. I want to talk to you a little bit today about liberty, about freedom. And of course, Sunday is the 4th of July, the official day that we celebrate our Declaration of Independence. That is a big deal. During the presidential campaign, Joe Biden tweeted, then-candidate Joe Biden, tweeted, he said, America was an idea. He said that again just a few days ago. He has it in his mind that America is an idea. And I understand ideas are good things. I mean, everything starts with an idea. But America is much more than an idea. His word struck me first because he spoke in the past tense. America was... (laughs) If it was an idea of what, it, you know, so that caught my attention. And I asked myself, I wonder what that really means. I mean, maybe he didn't think about it, but he's repeated it several times. But America was never merely an idea. It was and is a vision enabled by God's providence. And I want to talk to you a little bit about God's providence in the founding of this nation. It's also a vision that was enabled by a lot of hard work and personal sacrifice. As we celebrate the 4th of July this weekend, Independence Day, I want to take a closer look at some of the hard work and some of the providence. President Biden said, and has repeatedly said, America was an idea. We've never lived up to it. (laughs) But he said we've never walked away from it. He followed up by promising that his leadership, of course, of the country would take us to the place of living up to that ideal. Of course, that has not happened and it will not happen. Ideas are important, but usually ideas are birthed in think tanks or in the bowels of public education at a university. Barack Obama was famous for postulating on ideas because in a classroom, with a tenured professor, they can say anything and they can suggest anything and there's no, no real consequences because nobody's going to act on it. That's where ideas often come from. Ideas are important. It's the birth of action. But America was born from a vision, not an idea. The vision is so important to sustaining life. In fact, it's so important that God's word tells us without a vision, people perish. America is a miracle nation. There's been that sense that America is kind of a miracle nation. Barack Obama, when president, was often 
pressed by people, particularly conservatives, do you think America is exceptional? And he always avoided it. Finally, he was trapped one day by a reporter. I can't remember which reporter it was, but I remember the incident. Do you think America's exceptional? Well, uh, you know, cool, Mr. Obama. He said, well, he said, I think every country thinks the people think that their country is exceptional. He said, take Greece, for example. And he used Greece as an example. They were just in the process of filing for bankruptcy. This was back a few years ago. That caught my attention. He said, take Greece, for example. He said, I think most Greeks think that their country is exceptional. So he said, I guess I would say that, sure, America is exceptional. Very dismissive. This is not a criticism of Obama. It's merely making a point. And the point is that the secular progressive cannot bring themselves to embrace the truth about America, its founding, and how we have become what we are today in this world. It's interesting that people throughout generations have often, and most often, recognized that. My favorite poet is Henry W. Long Longfellow. I like poetry. I was raised in a family that gave it importance. And my grandmother, in fact, has written a lot of poems. I've read a couple of her poems on this program. We published them. They weren't published publicly, but we published them in a little book, and it circulated around our family. And But she was pretty good. And uh, poems have a way of communicating things that maybe just a narrative uh, would not or not as forcefully, but Longfellow wrote Sail On, O Ship of State. He wrote it back in November of 1849, or he wrote it over a period of time, but during that time in 1849, prior to the Civil War, he was a big advocate of Abraham Lincoln. In fact, he campaigned for him, which he didn't do for other politicians. But he wrote this poem, Sail On, O Ship of State, O ship of state, sail on, O union, strong and great, humanity with all of its fears, with all the hopes of future years, is hanging breathless on the fate. We know what master laid the keel, what workman wrought the ribs of steel, who made each mast and sail and rope, what anvils rang, what hammers beat, in what forge and what a heat were shaped the anchors of thy hope. Fear not each sudden sound and shock, tis the wave, not the rock, Tis but the flapping of the sail, and not a rent made by the gale. In spite of rock and tempest roar, in spite of false lights on the shore, sail on, nor fear to breast the sea. Our hearts, our hopes, are all in thee. Our hearts, our hopes, our prayers, our tears, our faith triumphant, or our fears, are all with thee, are all with thee. That poem was pretty well known. It was published in the Atlantic, which back then was a fairly conservative publication and widely read across the nation. Now it's far left, crazy left. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the president during World War II, he was very aware of that poem, obviously. And during a very crucial moment in World War II, he sent a significant message to Winston Churchill, FDR. In it, he wrote, he wrote it in his own handwriting, a little note. I like to write notes in my own handwriting. I get tired of typing sometimes. 
And it makes it more personal. But he wrote this personal note to Winston Churchill. And in it, he said, quote, Sail on, O ship of state. Sail on, O union, strong and great. Humanity, with all its fears, with all the hopes of future years, is hanging breathless on thy fate. Of course, that was the story of World War II. Had we not had the greatest generation, the people who loved America as deeply as the founders of this nation, on the front lines of that world war, we would not be having this conversation today. America would have ceased to exist as we know it. And I think most of us are aware of that. History revisionists can say what they want and they can write what they want, but the truth is the truth. And fortunately, there are people who know the truth and stand with the truth about our nation. It was a miracle. Absolute miracle. I know Columbus has been ripped down and thrown in the bay, his statue. He's been defamed, debunked, hated. But it was a miracle that Columbus found this part of the world. He wasn't even looking for this part of the world. It was a miracle that the early colonists survived and built a nation during those first 156 years. It was a miracle that they rebelled against the motherland and even a greater miracle that they won. They actually won the Revolutionary War against overwhelming odds. Great Britain was the most powerful military force on the planet. These guys were farmers and workers and some of them wealthy, most of them not so much. It was a miracle they survived the Confederacy period. That was 1774 to about 1789. And still, it was another miracle that they founded upon this continent, a new nation dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal under God and equal before the law. And it's still a miracle that this nation exists today as a strong and a free people. Our founding was preserved by a thousand miracles. I want to talk to you about maybe one or two of them. George Washington said he was aware of at least 57 times during the Revolutionary War that he was protected by providence, God's providence. And probably, he said in one letter, he said maybe a thousand more times that I wasn't aware of. Isn't that obvious, you know, isn't that interesting how in life we see how God has blessed us sometimes and protected us, but think of the times that we're not aware of. How many times God has taken care of us, God has protected us. Well, this is what George Washington was saying. Probably a thousand more that I was not aware of. British Major Patrick Bulldog Ferguson was pretty famous during the Re- Revolutionary War. He was On this particular day, he was resting with some men in a clump of trees. A party of American officers rode by on the trail, not very far away from where they were. But they didn't, the American officers didn't see them. One of Ferguson's sharpshooters, they were all sprawled out under probably a big oak tree or something. One of his sharpshooters got up behind in the bushes and he aimed at the back of the biggest man on the biggest horse. But just as he was ready to squeeze the trigger, the major bulldog, he stopped him. He said, it's ungentlemanly to shoot a fellow officer from hiding. He said, if you want to shoot him, get out in the open and face him. So this kid, this sharpshooter, just put his gun down and they went on with their conversation. The next day, Ferguson, 
learned from an American prisoner that that officer was George Washington. Ferguson later said, I'm not sorry that I didn't know at the time who he was. Not knowing made it necessary to choose between doing something he thought dishonorable and possibly ending the war and killing the enemy commander. Hundreds of books have been written about all the thousands of miracles that happened during the Revolutionary War. It's overwhelming. I know the left tries to hide this and put it under the carpet and erase it and cancel it and so on, but it's there. People know it. It's in the hearts and minds of millions of Americans. Patrick K. O'Donnell is a best-selling author, critically acclaimed military historian. He's a former soldier who served as a combat historian in a Marine rifle platoon during the Battle of Fallujah. In his book, American Dunkirk, The Lads That Might Do Something, and that's a phrase from a quote from that era. In that book, he wrote, quote, 245 years ago, the fate of Washington's army, in fact, the fate of the entire revolution, lay on the muscled shoulders of the fishermen and sailors of the Marblehead Regiment. He picks up the storytelling. It's a great book. I, I have read parts of it. I haven't read the whole thing, to be honest with you, but I, I'm very familiar with the story and the text. But he picks up the storytelling with this, quote, a remarkable evacuation, including a miraculous fog, would create one of the greatest escapes in military history. On August 27, 1776, the Americans had lost several battles in Brooklyn, and the British and the Haitians had Washington's army trapped with their backs to the East River, and it looked like the revolution might end just weeks after signing the Declaration of Independence. Well, he picks up, O'Donnell picks up, two days before a regiment of Marylanders, known as the Washington's Immortals, bought Washington's army to a precious hour. Had the Marylanders not made a almost suicidal stand against the British at forts in Brooklyn Heights that afternoon, all the circumstances would have been aligned for a crushing America defeat and the end of our war for independence. A nor'easter, he said, had pelted both armies for two days. The British had constructed siege lines and entrenchments around the American defenses. The Royal Navy planned to sail behind these defenses, cut off their escape. The fate of the American army was sealed. Essentially, everyone knew, he says, the revolution was over. It had been crushed. However, the weather, the wind, the tides, they refused to cooperate. The Americans not only had tens of thousands of British regulars and Haitian troops in front of them, but now they also had the extreme weather, the winds, the tides, and the time. And then they knew these boats were going to sail up the river, these big boats, and probably take them all out. It was then that Washington decided to evacuate Brooklyn and retreat to Manhattan to make one of the last attempts to save the American army. The Marbleheaders were the right men in the right place at the right time in history. For years, they'd worked together as a team, fishing in the Grand Banks and the icy waters of Nova Scotia. These men, their leadership, their grit, their priceless experience sailing the most treacherous waters in the world, it would be indispensable. But it seemed impossible. It was the middle of the summer. The nights were short. Daylight was long. The timing was everything. 
the Americans were completely vulnerable. Any British attack would be fatal, but if the British didn't know, they wouldn't attack. Colonel John Glover, he led the regiment of Marblehead oarsmen in their boats. The team included African Americans, young, old, a Spaniard, Native Americans, even two pairs of father-sons. You talk about diversity, <laughs> look at the founding of this nation. These people on the left just can't get past their bias and their own racism. Racism and bias and bigotry and all of that was put aside when we were fighting for our freedom, for our liberty. In complete darkness, the oarsmen assembled the boats and prepared for the greatest challenge of their lives. Any light, even a little lantern, would have tipped off the British about the operation that was underway. The sailors simply had to trust their instincts to cross the river, which was a mile wide at that point. At any moment, the British Navy could sail up the East River and blow up the American flotilla. Miraculously, though, the wind never shifted in the direction to power the British sails up the river. Amazing. At 10 p.m. that night, the order was given to begin transporting the troops. The sick, they all were taken across first. The guys rode like crazy. I mean, they made great time. Then all the horses were rode across. The story is a long list of lucky <laughs> turns of events, except none of the Americans that were involved thought they were lucky. One loyalist learned of Washington's evacuation. Somehow he fig figured out what they were doing, so he sent one of his slaves to tell the British forces what was going on so they could get up in the middle of the night and stop this and wipe out these ragtag troops in the American Revolution. But a language barrier caused the British to not receive the message until it was too late. The guy that this guy sent, his slave, didn't speak English. And he was trying to communicate to him and he couldn't they, to the to, to the British troops, and they couldn't communicate. And so while they were trying to figure out what this guy was trying to say, Washington and all of the revolutionary troops got across the river. Just as daylight broke, creating the greatest vulnerability of this evacuation, a thick fog appeared, and it cloaked the rest of the escape. What had been covered by darkness, as the sun rose, the fog appeared, and it cloaked the rest of the actions. One soldier who was in the evacuation wrote in his diary just a few days later that the waters that had been so turbulent the night before became smooth as glass as the fog rose. And it rose at exactly the right place at the right time and proved crucial to saving the United States. By 6 a.m. the sun was rising. The British were becoming aware of what was going on, and they couldn't believe it. Many Americans saw the hand of God in the perfect timing, an execution of the retreat. Had it not been for the providential shifting of the wind, not more than half the army could possibly have, have crossed that river. The remainder would have fallen into the enemy's hands, and as I said, the revolution would have been over. When someone argues with you that America is not an exceptional nation, we're just like all the rest of them, don't believe it. 
I know there are some in the Christian community who say that America is the replacement of Israel. That's not true. But America is exceptional in God's way, in a different way. We're not Israel. We're not replacing Israel. But we are exceptional, not only culturally in the world, but we're exceptional in the sense of God's purposes for this earth. The 1776 report was put out in the last year of President Trump's uh, presidency. He put together a blue ribbon commission to create a report that explains in truth from documents how the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution were actually created. In addition, this blue ribbon panel of conservative, historic, well-informed, some professors, group, and they would tell the story the way it really was, based on all of the evidence and the body of work that was put together. Obviously, I don't have time today to go through all of that on this program, but I would like for you to take a look at it if you have time. Uh, I wrote an article on this today at faithandfreedom.us. That's our website. You can go on there, faithandfreedom.us, not .com. You can go on there, and you can uh, you see that I wrote an article about this today. In that, there is a link to the report. <clears throat> you can copy it off or read it or whatever, but I would strongly encourage you to take a little time this weekend and take a look at that. One thing that is said toward the end of the report, to be an American means something noble and good. It means treasuring freedom and embracing the vitality of self-government. We're shaped by the beauty, the bounty, the wildness of our continent. We are united by the glory of our history. And we are distinguished by the American virtue of openness, honesty, optimism, determination, generosity, confidence, kindness, hard work, courage, and hope. Our principles do not create these virtues, but they laid the groundwork for them to grow and spread and forge America into the most just and glorious country in all of history. So what is the purpose of America? Just, It's more than just a blessing to those of us who are blessed to be Americans. Millions of Christians over the years have given billions of dollars to extend the Lord's kingdom. We've sent our sons and our daughters literally to the ends of the earth to share the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know that if these people, if George Washington and that group back then would not have crossed that river and escaped the British, none of this would have happened. There wouldn't have been an America. But God in his providence wanted to use America, founded on Christian values, Christian faith, Christian beliefs, to reach a world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It wasn't that God favored us more than the guy across the ocean and wanted to give us more stuff. But we, for the most part, have more stuff. That's why this nation is exceptional. That's why we exist. That's why we'll continue to exist until God's purposes are fulfilled for the United States of America. I know that doesn't play well in today's culture, but it's true. At the conclusion of the Constitutional Convention, George Washington told his colleagues, he said, we have raised a standard to which the good and wise can repair. The event is in the hands of God. Indeed it is. There is a purpose for our existence. America is an exceptional nation, birthed out of the purposes of Almighty God for such a time as this.
Have a great 4th of July weekend. Thanks for being with me today, and thank you for your support. We need it. Each month we meet our budget because you stand with us. Have a great weekend, a great 4th of July. I'll see you on Monday.